this is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this is episode 12, What We're Making When We're Not Making. <laughs> um, before I dive into the story about today, I wanted to tell you three quick housekeeping things I know personally that when podcast um, talkers, (laughs) I don't know if that's the right word, podcast peeps, (laughs) whenever they dive into housekeeping, I'm always like, skip, you know, (laughs) these will be fast. Please hang out with me for these. They're they're important, especially because this podcast is so new. And um, those of you that listen are, are really actually in the ground floor of something um, because this is uh, an interesting time, I think, in the future of Secret Sauce. So I want to share this with you directly, but I will do it quickly. Number one, um, if you've been listening to episodes uh, leading up to today, I've been talking about how episode 12 was going to be uh, Just Ask Jason. Uh, Jason's my husband. He's an engineer, and he's fascinating to talk to about art in relationship to business. He's helped me so much, and I also just love what happens when we chat with each other because we are so weirdly different and similar at the same time. And uh, so we recorded an episode over the weekend and, and then we had to put it on hold while Jason checked on a couple of things. So it's coming. (laughs) I'm having some learning curves with having guests on. It's been cool to kind of practice with him though. And, um, and I'm excited to have more people on secret sauce is, has always been intended to turn into sort of a soup a sauce, if you will, of lots of voices. What happens when you stir many stories into a pot, you know? Um, so stay tuned for that, hopefully next next Monday. Um, I've been saying next Monday for a few weeks, so <laughs> I'm sure some of you are like, sweet, I roll Borelli. Um, but no, for real, I'm very excited to have him on because we weren't really sure when we recorded over the weekend how it was going to be, and it ended up being really sweet. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, number two, we set up a Patreon account. Uh, Patreon was something I was on the fence about. For those of you unfamiliar, Patreon is a social media platform that allows people such as yourself who are enjoying content that is traditionally free, like a podcast, to support financially projects that you're passionate about for a few dollars a month. Um, I have about a half a dozen makers that I support using Patreon. And it's a neat opportunity because for like three to five bucks a month, um, you really do offer like literal support (laughs) for creative projects. While three to five dollars doesn't seem like a lot personally, when it's done collectively, it can be massive for makers. And the reason that I ended up deciding to put up a Patreon is because, um, super awesome news, uh, work in my world is pretty much back to the volume it was in February, which is huge. Um, the, the secret sauce was sort of birthed out of quarantine and having time and that time is not as available 
And so in order to decline paid opportunities, in order to continue um, making a weekly podcast, the Patreon is an opportunity for people to support in that way if they feel invited to do so. Um, I also recognize that even 3 to $5 a month is not possible for a lot of people. So this is only an invitation. Um, please know that you are welcome to always be here no matter whether you're supporting or not. Um, but if you are interested in doing um, that, in being a patron, there's going to be some patron-only um, offerings that you can read about over on the Patreon. The link is in the show notes as well as on my Instagram bio and on my website. And there will, you know, so there'll be some neat things like uh, live Q and A's with guests, uh, monthly Zoom opportunities to chat with me about art or shop or whatever. Um, and I'd also, I'm also working on a couple of offerings that have to do with art classes going forward. Um, but it's just a pretty chill opportunity for you if you feel like supporting Secret Sauce, if you enjoy the stories here. Um, it's also going to allow me to have more guests because that's going to require much more time <laughs> than just me sitting at a microphone once a week. Um, and lastly, number three, um, I am getting ready this Wednesday over on Instagram to offer a free live mark making demos for people that are interested in cultivating a sweet little creative practice in the evenings. Um, and we're doing mark making because it's truly for everybody. I, I actually had Jason, my husband in mind, he could do <laughs> these mark making projects and get enjoyment out of them. Um, the focus is going to be on process, not product. Um, the goal with these little live Wednesday night sessions is to show adults how to make like a kid again. I have this rich background in teaching little kids and these sessions are a way for people to reconnect with the ways that kids make things. Um, and I'm very excited about them. They're at 7 PM central time, um, on Instagram live and that we're going to be posting daily information in my stories over there about them. Um, so if you're not connected to Instagram, that's an opportunity for you if you want to check that out. And then those Instagram live sessions are going to be little ways for people to get their feet wet for a larger open studio series um, that will be about process-based art making coming in August and September. And there'll be more information about that coming down the pike on this podcast. But if you're interested in getting sort of early bird information about those things, um, I'm going to be the first place I usually share things um, when they're available for registration is on the podcast that I have. Um, and the it's called the Muse Letter. And it is also in the bio, the or I'm sorry, the show notes of this episode. So those links are available to you if you're interested in connecting in the newsletter. And and let's get going. Let's get going on today's story. Um, making when we're not making. I am fascinated by this idea that even, and I've talked about it in past episodes a little bit, um, this idea that even when we're sitting in a room, not saying anything, not doing anything, maybe not even moving. <laughs> We're still being profoundly creative and artistic. 
with who we are. That who we are is constantly creating in ways that we can't necessarily see, but that are very real. And I have talked a little bit in the past episodes about the ways that I saw this as a school teacher, you know. Um, it sounds elusive to think about, you know, what does Borelli mean <laughs> when she says making without making? But we've all had experiences with this, you know. Um, mine really became clear when I was a teacher. Um, I would watch these seasoned school teachers come into a room of loud kids and stand in silence and the kids would all stop you know they would just get quiet and calm it wasn't just that they were complying behaviorally right you can tell when kids are complying but their energy is still freaking out you know they're like they they stop talking but their bodies are like basically like invisibly squirming, (laughs) you know? Um, What I'm talking about is teachers coming into a room and their presence was so powerful that they would sue the room of children and the children would become calm in their presence within seconds. It was magical to see. That's the type of, that's the type of thing I'm referencing when I say making without making, right? Because these these humans would not be saying anything. They wouldn't even be doing anything. They wouldn't be waving their hands or clapping their hands. They would just stand there. And they had this massive influence that was very real and also really hard to describe. Like I, I, I can only describe it based on the response that I saw in, in, my, in these kids right? That's the only way to like really describe the influence is if you try to say what the teachers did to cultivate this kind of reaction in kids, it's pretty impossible. Um, It's extrasensory. It's beyond the five senses. There's no way to describe it using language connected to sight, sound, touch, whatever. And this phenomenon I think is becoming much more important in all areas of our collective life at the moment and so I'm really interested in talking today about how it's connected to art making and I wanted to tell a story because I know this idea is still a little bit I don't know abstract I guess (laughs) but but so freaking important to right now Um, and there's so much happening collectively right now that I'm just not in a position to talk about. Um, but I am really in a position to talk about this topic in regards to art and this topic in regards to art, um, matters to right now, um, in huge ways. So, so I want to talk about making without making, and I want to use a story from when I was a school teacher to do it. I've been, I have, I think I'll always kind of reference <laughs> teaching on this podcast because so much of teaching sticks in my mind. I feel like I've, I don't, I'm, I'm pre- it's actually interesting to me because 
One of the reasons, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but one of the reasons that I have been excited to have people on this podcast is that I don't remember what I tell stories about. I don't, and I don't have a desire to go back and check. (laughs) Um, I have a pretty, um, hippie, I don't know if hippie is a good word, um, organic process when it comes to recording these. I, I sit down and sort of call into the forefront of my mind what feels important to talk about. And then I go off. (laughs) So, so I don't remember a lot of the stories that get chatted about here. And so today, especially I was like, have I told this story before? I might have, but, um, bear with me because the story, if I have told it before is important for uh, a different reason. And this is a story about a lesson I did with second graders, my first year teaching. And the reason I remember so many things from teaching and the reason that I love referencing teaching here, um, in terms of art making, um, and bringing forth your authentic sort of secret ingredients in your work is that kids first of all are just ridiculously authentic because they don't know how to be any other way <laughs> they haven't been educated to to fit in uh, yet and and kids are so in the freaking moment and they demand that adults be in the moment too you know I I would (laughs) my parent friends immediately know what I'm talking about um if you are like I would be in the middle of a school day and I would be you know perhaps in like a third grade class and I would and the next class would be first grade painting and I would so desperately be trying to use like just little pockets of free time in the third grade class to like prepare for the next class to get ahead of the next class and those and and it was impossible like these little eight-year-olds would be like I need help with the scissors I need you now you know they're (laughs) um that is how kids are they are very much in the now and while while that was really um challenging (laughs) just as being a parent is challenging to get used to so is being a teacher and I have these really vivid memories from that time because I lived a hundred percent in the moment, which was such a special thing, you know? Um, and I think a lot of parents can relate to that too, of having these really vivid memories with their kids because they had to live in the present with them. And, um, so this was one of those times I, it's a story of a massive, um, fuck up. I hate using, (laughs) I intuitively wanted to use the word fuck up and then also feel funny doing that when I'm talking about (laughs) seven-year-olds. This story is about seven-year-olds, but, um, and then, and then the subsequent, um, sort of fix, fix up, (laughs) fuck up and fix up (laughs) that came afterwards. Um, And this particular story really informs this podcast, um, the motivations of this podcast, and also the motivations of my particular illustration style and, um, and what I believe 
matters for you um, listening to this. So I was excited to to do this episode today. Um, Okay. So I had this idea years ago to teach a unit on mandala making. And the reason that I had chosen to do this is because um, in Cleveland at the time, so I was teaching in a suburb of Akron, Ohio, and in in Cleveland, at, I want to say it was at City Hall or something, um, they had invited Tibetan monks to construct a sand mandala. If you're unfamiliar with this, you have to Google it. It is so fascinating. Um, sand mandalas are these gorgeous, large-scale, circular um, artworks full of symbolism and iconography. They're highly symmetrical usually, and they're created with colored sand in this really meticulous meditative process, usually three to four monks from Tibet will travel from Tibet to different places in the world to do these. And they're done publicly in a live forum and people can watch the process happen. And then when the mandala is done, it's usually on display for a short period of time. And then, um, it is ceremoniously blown away and into the wind (laughs) as a commentary on the way that being in the world actually is, you know, because we've gotten really, um, what's the word? Our grip on the world has gotten really tight, uh, that humans generally are really focused on product. What am I making or consuming or collecting or acquiring? Yeah. And then how can I hold on to that thing and never let it go? (laughs) Right? Like, uh, I mean, that's just our lives, you know, like how can I acquire power so that I can make enough money and how can I hold on to that and never, ever let that go? You know, like how can I, um, how can I acquire a house and protect that thing? Um, and these are all really, I'm not even making a judgment call on this type of behavior because um, that type of, of living is important in some ways to, to protect ourselves and our families um, for sure. And uh, if it gets carried away, it can create this sort of unsustainable situation (laughs) on the planet. And so Tibetan monks have started doing these um, impermanent artworks as, you know, as a collective commentary on making stuff for the process. You know, what does it mean to do something just for the journey, right? And then let go of any of the related product, you know? What does it mean to work months on making something and then burn it? That's huge, you know? And so I had this idea. I was like, this is cool. And this is happening, you know, pretty close to the school I'm at right now. I was showing them pictures of it from the news. And I said, y'all, what if we make sand mandalas and then blow them away in the playground? 
And as you can imagine, that idea was exciting to seven-year-olds in theory and devastating in practice. <laughs> they, seven-year-olds are not in a position to let stuff go that way. Um, and here's why. So what happened was this. I, I got a bunch of colored sand and I had given these kids their, these individual plastic trays and um and then we talked about how they were going to lay out these sand pieces but the thing was is we were going to blow them away so they couldn't you know glue the sand down there was no like attaching the sand to the surface and as I was going forward with this project I made a massive mistake right because I was so um I was so unaware in, in some ways of the ways that I was making without making. And here's what I mean when I say that. I was excited about <laughs> talking about process-based making, but I was really unaware of my own biases around product. And I constructed a freaking lesson for these seven-year-olds that was totally product-focused. And here's what I mean when I say product focused. The entire time we were constructing these sand pieces, I was talking to them about product. I was talking to them about picking colors that went together. I was talking with them about symmetry and asymmetry. And I was talking to them about laying the sand down slowly and taking their time. We were talking about product focused technique. And the kids were, of course, with, of course, then getting incredibly attached to the product. And so when it came to be the day that we were going to blow these things away, oh my gosh, it was hysterical. We're, we're lining up at the door <laughs> and the kids, the kids are holding these trays in their hands. I don't even know what I was thinking, honestly, like seven year <laughs> The sand was loose, right? So even just standing at the door, holding these trays of sand art, the sand was starting to move around. And so even before we left the room, the kids are seeing these works that they've just spent like two weeks working on, like starting to distort. And the anxiety is like building even before we've left the building. And I remember... Um, you know, I just hadn't done, hadn't done due diligence as a new teacher. <laughs> I was, we're like leaving the school building and immediately I have some, some of my sensitive kiddos start to cry. Oh, it was so, it was so devastating. I, I, we took like maybe five steps outside of the building and I just turned right back around. I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not about giving kids trauma <laughs> in art class today. Um, and so I sat with that failure. I mean, that was a pretty big failure. I, I had kids crying, <laughs> y'all. Um, we came back in. I, I pulled out some like coloring sheets or something for the last like 10 minutes of class. And I sat with that failure for a week. And, and use the experience to create a version of of the sand mandala making that was actually process focused. So the kids came in the following week 
and and I sat them down on the carpet and I said, okay, no, no blowing away. We're going to try this instead. And I had them go to their seats and they had in front of them um, colored pencils. I remember I had ordered some Prismacolored pencils. So they were like the fancy schmancy adult, awesome colored pencils. Um, and I had purchased some really nice black match paper, which was luxurious for the kids. I remember it was so sweet. Like getting professional materials for little kids was something I learned early on was an awesome idea (laughs) because, um, it's, it's a mistake to think kids don't know the difference. You know, like maybe five-year-olds don't know the difference, but by the time kids are six and seven, they can tell when you're giving them professional materials and they, every once in a while, like obviously we didn't have the budget to do it often, but once in a while I would just give the kids a day of experience, experimenting with professional supplies and they would freak out. And so black match paper is this archival acid-free black paper that is just ridiculously velvety in color it's um a hundred times more deep in hue than a black construction paper and the kids were it was it was so sweet they were handling this paper like it was treasure (laughs) it was and in on the black match paper I had used a compass to draw a pencil circle uh, in the shape of a mandala and the kids sat down and I put on some music and I told them to, to put their hands on top of the colored pencils. We had like spread them out all over their tables. And I just said, I want you to like put your hands over the pencils, kind of like a magnet. And I want you to get really quiet, really quiet. I said, because the colored pencils are going to talk to you if you get quiet enough. And the kids were like, what? (laughs) And I said, yeah. I said, art supplies will talk if you get really silent. And I'm not talking about silent with your ears. Like I'm not talking about getting quiet just by not saying anything, y'all. I'm talking about, I want you to stop thinking about anything else and just think about those pencils and let them guide your hand and, and just feel. And I was like, this is how the art supplies will talk. You'll, when your hand gets to the color that wants you to pick it, you'll feel like you really want that color. And that's how you'll know. And the kids were like, huh, okay. <laughs> And it was, oh, y'all, it was such a blast. Like, we spent five minutes just, like, feeling the colored pencils. And the kids each picked a color. And I said, cool. All right. Now you've, now I said, you just had your first experience with what happens when you get really quiet. I said, the thing that not a lot of people will tell you about making art is that there's two ways to do it. I said, the first way to do it is to pick something that you're going to make and then make it. I said, the second way of doing it is to get really quiet and let the art 
make itself. And the kids, for a second time, were like, what? (laughs) And I said, yeah. So here's how you're going to try this. I said, when the art wants to make itself, it, it, it wants to talk to you just like those colored pencils did. I said, and the only way it can talk to you is if you get quiet and if you give space. So I want you to sit with your color and I want you to think about one mark that you really want to make. I said, because any mark that you really love to make is, is the first mark that your art wants to be. I said, so maybe you really want to make a dot or maybe you really want to make a squiggle or maybe you really want to make a shape. I said, whatever mark it is, I want you to make that one mark and then stop. <laughs> and it was, y'all, I, I mean, it was really funny. I remember the kids were just like, the, our, our teachers lost their mind, you know, <laughs> And also there was this fascination. I could tell that they were just like, this is different. Let's see where this goes, you know? And so, and I was really surprised. I wasn't totally sure what to expect, but the level of seriousness with which they took this process was astounding, honestly. So these kids were pretty little, you know, seven and eight years old. And so they each made one mark. Um, And then, and then I said, okay. I said, now... In this, and now in the space, in the quiet time, I want you to think about what is that first mark really want? Let it talk to you. Like, what is the next best mark to go with that first mark? I said, and you'll know what the first mark wants you to do. Because as you sit quietly, you'll get a feeling in your body like, oh, I really want to do this next. And that's how you'll know that that is the second mark to do. And this time, you're also going to have to to listen to where does the mark want to go? Does it want to go in the middle? Does it want to go on the edge? Where is it going to go? And then you're going to put the second mark down. And I said, y'all... Here's the key to making art with the art. <laughs> I said, you have to stop between each mark so that the artwork has time to communicate with you because the artwork can't talk. It doesn't have a mouth. It can't talk into your ears. It's going to talk inside your feelings. And so whatever it, you feel like you want to do, that's the next mark. But you'll only you'll only be able to... Be sensitive enough to feel the next mark if you pause. This is like a hippie, this is a hippie idea. And these kids were freaking out, excited. And I I was so surprised. I was, honestly, I wasn't sure how this was going to go. But I realized that the kids were loving this because I was giving them really explicit instructions to do something that they were already really good at doing. Making this way is something that's really intuitive to all little humans that, especially three and four year olds, they just feel their way through an artwork. You know, they're, they're literally, they're literally making choices only based on what their feelings say. 
And by the time kids are seven and eight, they've had some um, classical instruction with art making. And so they've learned to, you know, pick something to make and then try to execute the steps to lead to that product, you know, and there's nothing wrong with making that way. Um, but I also think that making that way is not, um, our initial way of making. I think our initial way of making as humans is to do this very intuitive process and having permission to do that. Oh my gosh, the kids were losing their damn mind. Um, I never had seen anything like it. The, the silence was palpable. The, there was music playing. There was not a single thing said. The focus, the focus was tremendous. The kids were just wallowing in the process. They were absorbed in the process and they were tapping into what their feelings were telling them. Um, and slowly moving forward. And the thing that was really magical was that the kids started to recognize that this way of making was very exciting because the art, the artwork was revealing itself slowly. And that idea for seven-year-olds, I mean, they were just losing it. They were, they were like, Miss Brelli, the artwork is showing itself to me. Like what a freaking cool idea that, <laughs> you know, And so when the teacher came to pick them up, they were, it was, it was tremendous. They were begging to stay. No, the artwork isn't done. It has to show itself, you know, and oh, it was great. Um, And so the, the thing that was cool about this experience was that the first time that I taught this way, I had a planning period after. So I remember just sitting in some quiet, which is pretty rare, um, in a school day in my classroom and just reflecting on this experience. And I was thinking to myself, you know, that I knew that I had told the kids, you know, I had told the kids that you are like talking to the artwork right now. The artwork is talking to you and, and you're feeling the information and then, and then putting it down on the paper. But really what was happening was they were getting a chance to talk to themselves, you know, and that that process, the process of talking to yourself is in my mind at its root, what we're doing here with, with making stuff. And I'm, and not just making a drawing or a painting or a song or, or a play or, or any type of classic art, you know, I'm, I'm talking about making anything. We can make anything using that organic process. And that, and that process is perfectly ideal for making something that's never existed before. Um, it is really likely that people trying to rebuild, I don't know, like a motor. (laughs) Um, Jason, I'm not sure the name of this show. Jason watches this show on TV where it's like this workshop where people like rebuild things that have broken, but they often are rebuilding things that are really old, like a clock from the 1800s or something. And so they have some concept of what the the internal parts are supposed to be. And then also they just are kind of like feeling their way forward. 
And as I was watching this show with him the other day, it occurred to me like they're absolutely using this same process of pause and reflect to, to sort of intuitively sense forward how to, to fix these pieces. And I was thinking this, this process is incredibly applicable to everything, everything. And how often do we give ourselves permission to do stuff this way? Um, this idea of tapping in and feeling forward is really, um, it really contradicts the goals of, of capitalism, I, I would say, in a market economy, you know, because, um, I mean, I, I can't speak for how other people might absorb this, but for me, especially when my business and, and working for myself started to be profitable, sitting down and tapping into myself and feeling my way forward and letting myself organically just see what would happen, that felt like a luxury I couldn't afford. Like I don't have friggin' time for this. I'm selling coloring books right now. That was how that was how the beginning of my illustration business began. That was what was paying the bills. And why in the world would I quote unquote waste my time just seeing what came out when I knew that if I did more coloring books, I would make more money. You know, this is the challenge of uniting creative work with, with economic concerns, right? Because using art to come home to ourselves and to have a conversation with our internal worlds, um, that, that, sort of process has no concern with making money, <laughs> not at any at all. <laughs> so, so it was really challenging for me. And I, I would suspect a lot of people, you know, to give themselves permission to make stuff in this way that is wild and unpredictable right? Like I needed my making to be predictable, especially in the beginning or so I thought. And the thing that really inspired me to kind of come back to this process, you know, because the process I just described, one mark, pause, second mark, pause. That was, that was how my art style started. You know, that was the way that I made stuff. And then I really departed from making things that way as my illustration business began to take off. And I would say it was probably a few years in that I began to, I, I've, I, I didn't realize it at first, y'all, but I, I would say about a few years in, I was in the thick of, of a commission or something. And I want to say it was for HEB, which for those of you outside of Texas is the large statewide grocer. I don't know if HEB is outside of Texas. I think it might be. Um, it's very beloved <laughs> grocer here in, in Texas. They had hired me um, in 2016 and 2017 to design uh, reusable grocery bags for Earth Day 
And I, I remember I was in the middle of that illustration and I happened to go back and stumble upon some artwork that I had done four or five years prior when I was in grad school. And the work from five years earlier was decidedly less good. It was, it was less classically good. And it would, and the end also, I couldn't ignore the fact that five years earlier, the work was so much more sincere. It just felt better. It was, it was technically less good and energetically so much better. And I was, I was uh, caught off guard by that. Honestly, I was like, oh, this, this is something I need to pay attention to that that technically I had gotten a lot better and, um, and, and also the work was not as sincere. And I, if I, I knew that if I could feel that other people could feel it too. And it wasn't right away. <laughs> like, um, it took me another three years to kind of work through the, the stress around why I was afraid to make sincere work, why I was you know, I really wanted to just control output. I was treating my artwork like a, like a factory, right? I was producing what would sell. Um, and the first time that I really departed from that production line mentality was with the Desert Goddess series that I just released on my website a few weeks ago. Um, and that series was conceived of in a ridiculously organic way. I talked a little bit about that in the last episode, but I I went out to Big Bend for a week um, by myself hiking and was struck with the idea in all that quiet space and nature of what would, what would it look like to do pieces of artwork that represent nature as, as women, you know? And when I came back to Austin, I carved out quiet time every morning to, to the extent that I was able, I was, I was rusty again because it had been years, (laughs) but I, I one mark at a time moved forward through each of those five pieces and let the pieces make themselves with my hand. It was exhilarating (laughs) because I would sit down at this blank piece of paper and I had no idea what was going to come out. <laughs> um, each of those pieces is so special to me. And when I launched them on the website, I was really surprised. Honestly, I was, I have always kind of had a lukewarm reception to anything that I launch on my site um, because the focus of my business has never been retail. And I launched the, that line of five prints and the first week, the, the sales just blew my mind. I, and I realized this, this is, there's something to this, right? That people are, they are sensitive enough to pick up on authenticity. Um, and there's, there's some arguments arguments to be made that, you know, even the technical skill in those pieces was better 
than in other pieces because I loved doing them and I, I, I slowed down doing them. When I, when I was drawing them, I was literally only thinking one, one line at a time as opposed to, I got to get this shit done. I got to make some money, right? What happens to our making when we are focused on product? You know, I do think it turns our making into an assembly line a little bit. And, and now this, this idea is at, is at the center of my style and business. What happens when we stop? Even if it's just for 30 seconds between lines on a paper, what, what is in that space that's informing us to go forward? What would happen if we started making everything this way? What would, how would that change our world? I mean, that's freaking huge. I was thinking about this specifically because um, I was watching a video by Martha Beck. Also, I, I want to say I've talked about her in past episodes. She is a sociologist formerly at Harvard and now I believe just um, does speaking tours and stuff herself and has written some books and her area of study has always been collective consciousness super interesting and she was talking I was watching um, a video that she did not long ago about the ways that human societies have structured themselves all throughout history and she was talking about how many revolutions there have been that um, humans have toppled power structures from the beginning of time and they always build another pyramid even even the American Revolution which you know our Constitution was conceived upon this idea of trying to democratize power and a few hundred years later, we have another pyramid here. We absolutely do. And that's what's fueling all of this unrest um, during coronavirus and during the protests. And, and I was thinking about this idea of making stuff because Martha Beck was... I wouldn't say she was warning people. It was She wasn't warning people, but she was cautioning people that we can topple power systems and we're still all pyramid architects. <laughs> we, I mean, we all, even me, even you, like all of us have been raised to unconsciously ascribe to the tools and techniques of a pyramid architect. And even if we deeply want something else, we are wired to build pyramids. That's why we have them. That's why we have them. <laughs> um, and so the que- and so Martha Beck's like question in her work, and I think it's so freaking fascinating at, for us as artists, is how are we going to make something different when we're all wired to build pyramids? <laughs> I'd like to suggest that one of the best ways we can make something different is is to pause in that pause. 
you make a mark, you stop, you listen, you feel what wants to come next. Because I clearly don't know if I superimpose what I think should go next, I'm going to build another pyramid. (laughs) And that's all of us too. That's all of us too. There's this fascinating essay that, um, Brazilian dissident and philosopher Paulo Freire created called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, where he talked about how even tragically oppressed groups, groups that have been done violence against for centuries and generations, if they are successful at overturning their oppressors and the systems that oppress them, they almost always recreate the same systems and then, and then they just oppress other people right? We're all pyramid architects, even the ones that are being oppressed. This idea is radical to me. How are we going to make stuff that is different when all of us are wired this way? I really, this process, this simple mark-making process that seven-year-olds did in my classroom, I weirdly think has some really powerful roots for how we could scale this this way of creating something through us instead of from us. Yeah? What would happen when we're not making things, when we stop and pause and listen? And the reason that I felt especially inspired to talk about this today when I found out that, you know, Jason and I weren't going to be posting our conversation was because I'm really struggling with pausing. Um, It feels um, not intuitive (laughs) to pause. Um, Many of us have seen this horribly grotesque video of a man dying, just circulating the internet. That changes people. Um, And it... to pause after seeing something like that feels really fucking wrong and and it's really important I think more than ever it's a radical idea um and and when I say pause I don't mean pause forever (laughs) I mean act pause act pause act pause mark listen mark listen um yeah i don't know this idea um and so this idea is what informs the mark making um instagram live sessions that are going to start happening every wednesday at seven i'm not going to talk about this (laughs) on those sessions it's just going to be the art making but this idea um to me is um it's a way that art can be at the forefront of of helping people not just make something new on a piece of paper but make something new in their inner worlds and in their and in their lives how how does what we make change when we come home to ourselves and get quiet? How does what we make change 
when we listen to the times when we're not making? How does what we change, I'm sorry, how does what we make change when we become aware of the ways that we're profoundly artistic in silence? You know, the thing that was really neat about watching seven-year-olds do this, and, and, I, and I do this type of teaching with adults too, is that you start to see these neat light bulbs come on, like people's eyes start to sparkle when they recognize that there's profound creative and artistic things happening in silence. And, and I would venture to say every time it's revolutionary stuff. You know, the stuff that comes out of my hand is always better when, when I get quiet and let this other thing talk, you know, um, and, you know, I would probably wrap up this episode with saying, I'm certainly not slamming on the, on other styles of making, (laughs) Artists that sit down and say, I am making a vase of flowers and I am using paint. <laughs> there, that is profoundly valid and, and beautiful and important. And that type of art making sh- will not stop and should not stop. And what would happen when collectively we start making with a more, in, a more intuitive bend? You know, I think that that's an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, I love y'all. I, um, I was a little tired today recording this, so I feel like at some points I might have checked out a little bit. It's funny because I'm very aware. (laughs) The reason I obsess about energy and, um, the ways that we are creative without being creative is I'm very aware. Like when I'm tired, the stories are not as good. (laughs) And I'm saying the same words. (laughs) I'm telling the same types of stories. But when the energy is a certain way, the stories just shine. And um, I'm learning that I can't always control that. That's frustrating for me. When I sit down to do these podcasts, I actually try really hard to, to the extent that I'm able to set myself up (laughs) for good vibes and that's just not always possible I um I woke up today um I feel kind of tired not in a bad way actually in a really good way I I went for a really long bike ride out in Bastrop State Park yesterday and so my body is just like a little a little uh wrung out this morning but I hope that this story helped you and served you in any way, as always. Um, I feel like I've been talking about slightly more sensitive topics the last few weeks because this is just a much more sensitive time. And I've also been wanting to talk about the things that I can talk to without overstepping because I know that there's a lot of things happening right now that I'm just, I should not talk about. It's not my place. And so if I have overstepped or if I have um, in some way, said some things that um just don't jive with you please leave them um just leave them take what resonates leave the rest (sighs) thanks for listening to this podcast thank you for continuing to send messages um to me about this podcast it means the world
Until next time, friends. Peace.